will begin these conferences on the Passion of our Lord with a prayer to the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who just instruct the hearts of thy faithful. By the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit, to be ever truly wise and rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We speak about the passion of our Lord, the moment for which he has come into the world. Nothing can grab our attention, grab our hearts, draw from us compunction, sorrow for our sins, as much as these considerations. And I'll take my thoughts from some notes I took from a book, the book called The Hours of the Passion by Jude Mead. It's an interesting way of considering uh, the passion of our Lord, the hours of the passion. Remember that our Lord is God made man. He shares our humanity. He comes into the world and therefore he comes into time. Uh, he is circumscribed by time. And every moment of our Lord is significant. God does not do things by accident. And in the case of our Lord, God made man, God in the flesh, he leaves for us an example, a lesson along the way. If we use the expression man of the hour, we refer to one who is riding the wave of popularity how quickly that hour passes for man. And what does it bring? Is it productive? Is it uh, uh, something that he keeps with him? All that productivity and efficiency comes to nothing if it is not something used for the purposes of God. But popularity gains us nothing. There's only one man whose effectiveness uh, increases with time, whose time is not wasted, and that is our Lord. Every moment of our Lord holds a special lesson for us. His courage, as we examine him in the Garden of Gethsemane, is such a lesson for all who suffer, and everyone has some suffering. The loving Savior who died forsaken, is an ideal after which all hearts must be drawn. If I be lifted up, I will draw all things to myself. The passion of our Lord begins after his discourse at the Last Supper, when he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells us the nature of this hour when speaking to his enemies. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness wherein darkness will seem to have triumphed. 
It was about midnight when Jesus came with his chosen apostles to the seclusion of that garden. He enters into the garden, which is the scene of man's first disobedience. And now the good God who doesn't leave any detail, um, the good God who placed man in the garden of delights has now himself entered into the garden of suffering. The Paschal moon is now high and it floods the garden with a misty light. We're painting the picture here. The trees cast a shadow across the rocky, rough land. And we see a group of tired men oblivious to the beauty of the night, and oblivious to the significance of the hour. They are asleep. Our Lord's followers are fast asleep. Further on, we see three more men Peter, James, and John. And like the others, they are asleep. Alone, our Lord alone, he watches, he prays. It is the Lord who watches and prays while the rest are asleep. He watches and prays on their behalf, in their place. They should be vigilate et orate watching and praying but it is our lord alone who does that and the silence of the night is broken by a cry my father if it be possible let this chalice pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as thou wilt and then he comes to his three closest friends and he finds them asleep three closest friends among the the twelve Could you not watch with me one hour? And he'll single out Peter, who must be the shepherd of the flock. And he says, Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he returns. And again, he prays a second time, my father, if this chalice may not pass away, but I must drink it, thy will be done. And a second time, he'll come back and find his apostles asleep. The insistent prayer of our Lord, coming back to, to pray again, to pray with confidence. It's a good meditation to think about the prayer of Christ contains all the qualities that should be in our prayer, the faith, the confidence, the trust in Almighty God and His providence. When things seem so dark uh, for us, we know that God is there. We know that He orders all things to good. And our Lord will go back a third time to pray. And being in agony, he prayed the longer, and his sweat became as drops of blood trickling down upon the ground. This man who is prostrate with sorrow bathes in his own blood. He is the Son of God. What a mystery. What a mystery. 
Christ is, is beginning his passion. His enemies are on their way. He knows this. He could escape, but no. He will do nothing to save himself. The hour has come. This is why he has come into the world for this moment. Death is a hard thought for any man. People fear death. In Christ, there is a perfect man, as well as a perfect God. And knowing the death that was about to come, knowing the violence of that death beforehand, makes it even harder. An undeserved death at that. A cruel suffering, undeserved, and this increases the outrage committed against him. Is it any wonder that our Lord is sorrowful? He is sorrowful even unto death. But is it only the physical suffering of our Lord which causes him to tremble? No. He sees all the wickedness of a wicked race of men, and this overcomes him. There in the garden, he takes on himself all of our sins. He fills the sins of men. We can think of all the different types and species of sin. The sins of speech, these sins of speech, they choke his throat. The sins of thought, hateful thoughts, murderous thoughts, impure thoughts. He's the all pure God, yet he must suffer these vile abuses of the mind of man. He sees sinful action. Even that sinful action which no one else sees, which we think we can get away committing without notice. He sees all these things, actions committed against themselves by men, actions committed against man's neighbor. Our Lord sees all this, he takes it upon himself, and for this, as well as the impending suffering, he is truly in agony. Our Lord is suffering. We don't discredit that suffering because he is God. Um, God, through the human nature, allows himself to suffer and to suffer much. In taking on his human nature, he took on the perfect human nature, one that could feel very acutely, feel every suffering more than we do. But he desires it. He desires to offer up this uh, suffering to his Father in atonement for our sins. What is agony? Agony is a struggle. The word agony comes from the word agon uh, in, in Greek, the place where the charioteers, the wrestlers, the gladiators would struggle. And our Lord is going through that deep struggle. The flesh is weak and he allows himself to experience it to experience that weakness of the flesh, to experience the weakness of the will as well. Remember, he is like us in all things except for sin. Our Lord will suffer and he'll suffer very completely. Spiritually, he suffers. He suffers a spiritual dryness. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. There are moments of dryness in our life. Our Lord felt that and felt it more. 
Mentally, he suffers. There's a deep loneliness. Could you not watch with me for one hour? He's betrayed by his own. He's tormented by the devil with the ingratitude of men, the ingratitude of our hearts. It's a great suffering for our Lord. And of course, he'll suffer physically. The stress of that suffering that he undergoes in the garden will cause blood to burst from the vessels, the blood vessels, and he, and he sweats blood. There is no one to help him. His best friends are asleep. And as if the thought of sin were not enough, the thought comes to him of the thousands for whom he will suffer in vain. They won't accept his sufferings. They won't accept the grace of redemption. Those who love sin will perish in their sin. That's a great suffering for our Lord. And the night is pierced with his sobbing, the sobbing of the heart of God. He is struggling alone against fear, sin, death, and hell. His father will send an angel to encourage him, and he rises. It's a moment of, of, of triumph. He has submitted his will to the fathers. He has become obedient unto death. He came to his disciples and he said to them, Sleep ye now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is the first hour of the Passion. We should make a comparison to our own lives. The hours of our life. That first hour of our day. That hour which for many is oftentimes the hardest hour of all, just to get up, to arise from sleep, to f uh, face the long, vexing, and sometimes seemingly insurmountable obstacles of the day. Some people experience a sort of self-hatred in the morning as they confront their own weakness. For the sick, there could loom long hours of conscious suffering for some workmen, there are jobs that are hard, that maybe are unloved, but are necessary to support their family. For mothers, endless household tasks and constant patience is necessary to deal with the children. And for those in unhappy and unholy situations, there is a dread of another day to be lived with their own unhappy selves. Of course, this is a, a valuable moment of our day to form our intention, to put ourselves in the presence of God, to dedicate everything to Him through the Blessed Virgin Mary. In imitation of our Lord. In imitation of our Lord. What are the answers that are given sometimes for this difficult moment of the day, this difficult hour of the day? Moderns will tell us to buy something new, novel, will improve your life. Uh, to read some self-help book will improve your life, will improve your day. Uh, these may at times have their place, but they are not the solution. Pray as Christ prayed. That's the solution. Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass away, but not my will, 
thine be done. Short, perfect prayer. This is the perfect prayer. It contains all those necessary elements of prayer. Faith, confidence, resignation ultimately to the will of God. Faith, confidence, resignation to the will of God. And in that prayer, you're not trying to change the will of God. The will of God is fixed and it is good. The will of God is always good. He knows what we need. We're not trying to change uh, that good will of God for us. You're not trying to rid yourself of the cross in that prayer either. Remember that. We're not trying to throw away a cross. The imitation of Christ says that if we throw away a cross, another and perhaps a larger will come to find us. But we're asking for the grace to be able to accept and to bear that cross. At the beginning of the day, accept and bear that cross. This is your hour at the beginning of the day. We don't live in the past or future, but we live in the present moment. We live in the moment that the infinitely good will of God has given to us. Let us imitate our Lord in his prayer and in the way that he suffers in the agony of the garden. And we will have as well a victorious first hour of our day. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen.